0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the Sorry What podcast, hosted by me, Fatima. I hope you're all keeping well and that you've enjoyed your Easter break. Today I'm joined by a fabulous guest who I'm sure some of you have heard of or already follow, Dr. Ollie Burton, and we're going to be discussing all things med school, transitioning from med school to being a practicing doctor, and why doctors are really striking. And this podcast is for everyone, so Please feel free to listen, even if you're not from a medical background or the medical field, as I'm sure there's going to be something for everyone. So hi, Ollie. Hello. Do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners and maybe tell them a little about what you do now and your journey to how you got to this point?
1: Sure. Um, I'll, I'll try and keep it really streamlined and simple. But my name is Ollie, uh, as as you know, uh, I'm a doctor working in the northeast of England, a large um what we call a tertiary center. So a big hospital in the middle of a city that deals with lots of different types of medicine. So it's a good place to be as a young doctor at the start of my career. So I can learn lots and get exposure to lots of different types of medicine to give you a really quick run through of my, uh, my journey. If you like, I was one of those kids, high achiever at school, you know, you like science, you're trying to decide what you want to do. Um, I really liked science and I liked working with people, so I I decided fairly early on that I wanted to be a doctor. Um, To keep a rather long story quite short, I I didn't adjust to A-levels very well. Um, I very openly admit I I didn't work as hard or study as hard as I, you know, should have done. I I Mm -hmm. thought I could get by without doing that, as I'm sure lots of people do. Anyway, I crashed and burned a little bit and uh, didn't get anywhere near the grades that I needed. In my uh, AS levels, I, I have no idea whether AS levels still exist, but the first year of your your college studies, yeah, which are used to make your university applications. So I was not in a place to apply for medical school. I actually ended up not applying for university at all okay. based on the grades that I had. Uh, but I reset. I had a very, very busy year. I resat all of my first-year exams alongside oh. my second-year exams. Came out with a much better set of grades, so kind of got myself in gear. And uh, then, but having not applied to university, which mm-hmm. all of my peers had done, I, I you know, was wondering what, what I should do. Uh, And ended up ringing around a few medical schools, just asking, you know, not for an offer, but kind of what what should All I options. do? yeah, yeah. If this is what I want to do, and when I got to Newcastle, uh, they actually told me that they had a place on their uh, molecular biology program that was going into clearing, and that course at the time I don't think it exists anymore actually, but it still it had a good track record of getting people into graduate entry medicine. Okay. And there was quite a good support structure in place. Um, so, that you know, I thought I could do a biology degree. That sounds cool. Mm-hmm. And it was quite well set up for getting people into the biotechnology industry. That was the main thrust of the course, kind of genetic engineering and CRISPR and all of these cool techniques. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was right at the cusp. Yeah. Before, you know, We started to see... Uh, recombinant DNA vaccines and things like that it would have set wow. me up very well to go into to that To go
0: case. in, mm-hmm.
1: but anyway so I did that degree then had a really good time uh got my degree and then I applied I applied to PhD programs and to medical school wow. I was accepted to a PhD program at Newcastle uh but I also ended up getting an offer for medical medical school, skill. so uh, I ended up doing that. I went down to Warwick Medical School for four years, which is uh, a graduate-only accelerated medical programme, so it's four okay. years instead of five. Challenging, difficult, mm. um, very intensive programme, but made it through, and then I came to work up here in Newcastle, where I've been for the last couple of years. So I came back essentially. You
0: came back, yeah.
1: Work, where I did my first degree. And uh bizarrely, I, I now find myself teaching reasonably often wow. in the same buildings where I had my lectures as a as a full circle. Yeah. Wow. And uh and now I'm I'm actually coming to the end of what we call the foundation program. Your first two years as a as a working doctor. And uh come August I will be unemployed. So I need to uh i'm in the middle of sorting out what comes next
0: wow you've been busy the past few years i feel like it's quite inspirational you know i'm also a grad medic but it's nice to see someone that's done it ahead of me mm. and i guess it's testament to the fact that you don't if you don't get in from school there's always another option and oh, no, nothing's different
1: it. yeah absolutely all, all medical graduates are created equal
0: mm-hmm. absolutely Absolutely, and did you enjoy medical school? What was your experience like?
1: It, you know, it was actually um, because I'd been stung, if you like, by by perhaps being a bit lax towards my studies at the A yeah. level kind of age. Um, I was very aware that that was a thing that could happen to me again. I mean, mm-hmm. my biology degree wasn't um, wasn't a problem. It was challenging and stimulating, but. I it didn't take a phenomenal amount of effort to do well just because yep. of how the, the course was and how it was structured. Um but I was aware that this could be a potential point of weakness for medical school. So I think I was quite on it, if you like, mm-hmm. from from day one, especially with it being an intensive program. Yeah. I was determined not to let that happen again. And Although actually, you know, thinking about it, I I came out what they call, um, we we talk about deciles in in medical school. So uh, I came out at the very end of medical school, well, actually halfway through the medical school, I was calculated in being the seventh decile. So the bottom 30% of the course uh, in terms of my exam grades. Uh, However, I ended up getting distinctions and things in my final exams. So wow. I, I really I don't know where I ended
0: up yeah. <laughs> ultimately.
1: But I guess on paper, and I'm I'm perfectly okay to to hold this position on paper. I'm a very, very average medical student, probably mm-hmm. below average. Um, and that's okay. Yep. You a lot of the work that you can do is is in areas where um you can focus on the things you're good at and you can bring other skills to bear. So
0: yeah.
1: despite um being on paper a below mm-hmm. average medical student, uh, you do have to remember that all medical students are very high achievers Absolutely. by virtue of how they're selected. And I was able to get my top choice academic foundation job. Um with with little issue and have, have been offered a very competitive job for, wow. for what comes next so it's just to try and to try and remember that grades aren't everything mm-hmm. and more or less once you graduate nobody cares yeah you know, what grades you have it's all about your other skills and the other things that you can bring to bear so we run a risk as as medics as medical students as being a bit myopic about about our grades but Mm -hmm. although they are important striving for academic excellence is definitely important it's not the be all and end all
0: I 100% support what you say because I just think grades should never be the be all and end all especially in a medical degree when it's so much more than just how well you perform in exams yeah,
1: and for, from a you know, I'm I'm doing my um, PG Cert in medical education at the moment, and you realise that once you start to do these these further bits of training, that there's two really important things, and the first is that medical degrees are pass fail. Yeah, as as many you know, I don't think many people outside of medicine know this. You're used to with university degrees. <coughs> pardon me, this idea of a, a third a, a two two or, or whatever a two one and a first or whatever um these these kind of graded performance levels and medicine doesn't work that way at all but for, for those who don't know it's it's pass fail you either meet mm-hmm. the minimum threshold and you're deemed to be a competent doctor or you don't and you're yeah. not allowed to pass and that's a patient safety thing and our exams are designed around this idea of demonstrating minimal competency Uh, that is the minimum safe standard required to work as a doctor they are not designed to pull out this differentiation between um between candidates to produce like a a distribution of results they're not really designed to Mm -hmm. do that and that's that's the first thing that's very important but the second thing is that despite the fact that they're not designed to do that, we yeah. do that anyway. In yeah, this, exactly. In this decile system, because we fall back on metric data because it's mm-hmm. easier to work with and manipulate. Um, but unless you're in the top 10% of your mm-hmm. cohort, what what we might call the honours uh, decile or the, the distinction decile, no one cares. Yeah, That's, that's the only situation in which it is ever rewarded in a, in any material kind of way and you might graduate with honours so mm-hmm. someone might have a medical degree with honours but to get that you have to graduate in the top decile 10%. the top 10 percent if you are not in the top 10 percent the bottom 10 percent and the 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 top 20 percent yeah are the same mm-hmm. so it's uh you know, so some people, it's really important to be in that yeah. top 10%, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's just knowing Absolutely. that you will have to work very, Extremely very, hard. very hard to do it.
0: Yeah, and I think it's just important to remember that, you know, regardless of where you are in that decile system, you're all going to become doctors. Correct. Do you think medical school prepared you for your foundation year one and year two? Honestly? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you the really trite mm-hmm. answer that I'm sure everyone else gives you, which is that nothing can prepare you for working as a foundation doctor. And what might actually be a more interesting or useful answer to your audience is is the
0: why. Yeah. And
1: the first thing is is that UK medical schools, again coming at this from an educationalist perspective, is not really set up to do so in the way that a lot of other medical education systems around the world are. So we could look at the US, for example, um, where very early on medical students are integrated into the ward teams, into these clerkships, and they are an expected, formulated, strategic part of the team. UK medical education doesn't really work like that, where you are supernumerary essentially the entire way through with this distinct pre-clinical phase almost like an undergraduate sciences degree and then uh, a clinical few years where you get a bit more experience on placement and on the ward and and all of these things as these things are fine but something that I think we still do very poorly in the u k is is this idea of integrating medical students and uh, into the into the clinical learning environment rather than sort of being stuck on the side of it and there are there are lots of very complicated reasons why this is difficult you know the funding often isn't there mm-hmm. the capacity isn't there we are yeah. we are already beyond saturated
0: mm-hmm. with
1: with how many students of not just medicine but but other healthcare disciplines that hospitals can cope with an appropriate supervision time as well. We we have to remember that most of the teaching that we would have received as undergraduate medical students is done through the goodwill yep. of senior doctors, so foundation doctors, registrars and consultants and SAS doctors, GPs. They are not, you don't start to think about this stuff, the higher level administration stuff until after you graduate and you're working and you're trying to decide what your own life might look like one day, Mm -hmm. what you might want to do, but particularly newer consultants, the way their job contracts work, they are not given nearly enough time in their their job plan, in their contract as it is written to properly teach and supervise medical students that they're, they're objectively not. Yeah. But they still do their best. Yep. And although o- on the one hand, the UK undergraduate medical e- education experience is often very poor. It yeah. is. Um and we need to wake up to that. Uh it is not th- it's not poor through disinterest of the yeah. people who teach us or lack of goodwill um and then to finally close out that thought it's it's just completely different once you're the one holding the bleep or mm-hmm. the one running the cardiac arrest or the one dealing with an acutely unwell patient and it's your responsibility it the whole it just dynamic different. just changes
0: yeah I can. that is exactly what I've heard people and um, even the top achievers They said the exact same thing. It's just a completely different dynamic and it's like you're being thrown in the deep end. And regardless of how effective the teaching was or how much you felt you gained from medical school, nothing really prepares you for, you know, your first nights or the first time. You're really alone and unsupervised. And it's it's scary because you are responsible for patient care. So, yeah, wow. Well, kind of leading on from that, how do you find it being a doctor? Is it would you say it's what you've expected or no? But before we go to that question, I think it'd be useful if you clarify to the audience just in line with the media recently what mm. is actually meant by the term junior doctor because I feel like it's a term that's being thrown just towards the foundation your doctors and there is a discrepancy mm. there,
1: yeah, um again I'll, I'll try and keep it brief and simple because it's actually very very complicated yeah <laughs> and that's why it's not communicated very well uh, particularly in the media uh, the simplest way to think about it is that a junior doctor as the term is is used in the nhs and that's important to start with because how it's used in the nhs and how the public might view what a junior doctor is might be two different things but within the NHS, a junior doctor is thought to be any qualified doctor, yeah. again, an important place to start. All junior doctors are fully qualified doctors who is still in training. And I'll come back to that <laughs> in a minute. Who so any fully any fully qualified doctor who is in training who is not a consultant a GP a SAS doctor or a uh, some other form of locally employed permanent contract doctor and as a more illustrative or helpful version of what I mean by that you should consider a junior doctor to be any doctor from from the moment they leave medical school who is embroiled in some kind of training pathway yep. towards becoming a consultant that's the simplest way to think about it bearing in mind that that pathway to becoming a consultant can be a journey of 10 15 20 years
0: yeah huge so,
1: yeah as a as a as a term it is not particularly useful no because if if i said you know if I said Fatima is a junior doctor, mm-hmm. you, you could be anyone from an F1, a foundation yep. year one doctor, newly qualified, very green, to, to a, a post-CCT neurosurgeon with yep. 15 years of postgraduate experience leading international research and removing people's brain tumours in the middle yeah. of the night. You would still be a junior doctor. So it it doesn't really tell you anything useful. No. It just tells you that they're not it. They're not a consultant, a GP, or a SAS doctor, basically.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, I think oh. that'll be helpful to clarify to the audience. The media is definitely a bit misleading with regards to that, especially in recent times. So thank you for clearing that up.
1: It's just the implication of the term "junior," right? It, it implies somebody who is not yet fully trained or not appropriately trained to be delivering care or someone yep. who doesn't know very much about what they're talking yep. about yeah but it's it's just used in such a loose sense mm-hmm. in the NHS I know. that it it makes it's not it's just easy.
0: thrown about what has been your experience of being a doctor's I mean you're nearly finished your F2 now has it been predominantly positive you know was it a bit of a shock to the system at the start
1: it is. I mean, I uh, I feel quite lucky in that I work in a centre that is known to be very supportive of its trainees. It's it's it is outstanding in terms of its trainee satisfaction, like every wow. year, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to come here. Um, it's it's hard, you know, start mm-hmm. starting work as a doctor, especially at the moment. Especially cause I started during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, remember is is hard. Uh, and I started on a very busy surgical job in a specialty with very, very sick and dependent patients. So, you know, I'm fairly open with people about the fact that I think for the first six to eight weeks of my working, uh, career as a doctor, I, I I don't think I had lunch a single day for, for maybe that, that first couple of months I would come to work i would be very busy i would stay late probably an hour or two every day every single day and uh would come home and would immediately fall asleep so you know no i I wouldn't eat completely fall asleep sleep through go back to work and next day same again same again same again same again for for a couple of months and i i was very miserable i lost weight i mean i'm I'm not a big guy as as you can see but Mm -hmm. i i lost weight to the point where people noticed um and then i settled into a a rhythm as you do yeah um you get used to it you get used to working a bit more unsupported Mm -hmm. and by then you've learned all of the systems and things you've learned how things work so everything is a lot more efficient um and a big part of that transition, we must remember, and this is really important, that you are very vulnerable during that time, both to people taking advantage of you and the system as it is taking yeah. advantage of you. And you, you're you very vulnerable to burnout and you, you need what you m- must have is appropriate senior support and people who are looking out for you and a good social circle if you can get one and i was very lucky and i had those things um and from there things things got easier you know you you get used to it you build your confidence you get used to shouldering the responsibility of looking after acutely unwell patients
0: yeah
1: um and working at night by yourself and making decisions
0: mm-hmm.
1: on behalf of other people. Because the thing is, is that when you're on the ward and like you're the doctor, yeah, you, know, you, you are the one, even as a newly qualified doctor, you are the one that people will look to, to make decisions. Um, even if you don't always feel like you mm-hmm. know what you're doing, <laughs> but you are trained, you are supported. There is always someone who can help. Even yeah. if it doesn't always feel like there is, there always is. Um, and I think, for the benefit of your audience and for you, if you if you really don't know what you're doing and a patient is unwell or you're you're struggling or flapping or you can't think, you you call. Ideally, you call your registrar. You call yeah. your consultant. If they don't answer I'm or they're sorry. busy. You you call someone, mm-hmm. you call the med, reg. you call a more senior doctor that you know that doesn't even work in that hospital. hospital you, you call yeah. someone because medicine really is a it's not just like a trade or a craft or a thing that we do. It is a it's a profession and we are all part of this big network this big profession this huge amount of experience and knowledge and there will always be someone awake or around or absolutely
0: to support you
1: and you are part of that as a medical student and I've I've had it before like even as a you know an SHO a senior house officer a second year doctor where colleagues newly qualified colleagues at other hospitals have called me at two in the morning to be like i'm struggling to get hold of anyone what what do what i do? You do yeah and that's okay um you know we, we are always there's always someone
0: mm-hmm. there's always someone for you to contact there's always support available i think it's and, just uh, knowing that
1: yeah but but 99 of the time you'll be able to sort it because absolutely you're a highly trained doctor that's what you're trying to do
0: yeah i think that'll be comforting not just for the F foundation year one doctors that are now finishing and about to start their f2 but also the final year medics are about to start their life as a doctor because i think yeah. people come in with an expectation and perhaps when it's not what they expected mm-hmm. you know they can get they can feel down you know People can feel like they're on top of everything, but I think when you go to become an F one, it's just a completely different game.
1: It is, and it will. It will be hard. Yep. Like so straight up. It There's w- no it point sugarcoating
0: it. Yeah, yeah. There
1: is. There is no. There is no sense in sugarcoating it, and um, it wouldn't be honest or wise if we did that, right? It's it's meant to be hard. It's a hard mm-hmm. job. If it wasn't hard, you wouldn't need five years of training
0: yeah, uh, exactly, in
1: order to do it and a, a lifetime of continued uh
0: education
1: yeah a, ongoing education and training um it's meant to be hard but you you will you will cope 99% yeah. of the time even if it doesn't feel like you are doing and it's also really important that if you feel like you're not coping that you reach out and ask for help mm-hmm. um I struggled with that during medical school and was able to get help and I'm, you know, I'm now here and doing okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so it applies all the way through. If you're a medical student and struggling, if you're a new qualified doctor, if you're a registrar consultant, the same, um, the same advice would apply and in fact you have a professional obligation to do so because it's about keeping patients safe
0: safe Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing your personal experience i was just wondering how you balance do you have a work-life balance sorted now or has that just completely gone out the window because you're obviously you're active on your social medias and your youtube and from the outset you seem to have it down is that really what it's like behind the scenes or
1: I'm actually I'm quite surprised that that that, that is your perception. I mean, it's not something I guess that I normally ask people because yeah. why would you? But um, I've actually I've got a a video scripted about this that I've just not had the heart to make yet. But mm-hmm. um, but the answer is no. Like I I have almost zero work life balance. I. From an objective standpoint, I have a terrible work-life balance. Absolutely Mm -hmm. terrible. But the caveat to that is that that that's how I choose to to live my life. That's the thing. I could...
0: You could if you compromised.
1: Exactly. If if I was more willing to compromise than I am, or if I elected not to do all of the extra stuff that I enjoy doing or want to do or whatever... um, I would have the ability to be a bit firmer in my boundaries and, and medicine and the pursuit of medicine for me, particularly it's the pursuit of neurosurgery because that's what I want to do. Yeah. Basically runs my entire, my entire life. So if I'm not at work, 99% of the time I will be doing something that is related okay. to working towards that. Um, Now that's, that's probably not healthy. Like that's but that's how it is. That's
0: how yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's how I am. And you know, I I get a lot of satisfaction out of it. This is the thing, is that I I have an objectively terrible work life balance. Yeah. But I I love what I do. I don't feel burned out or, <laughs> you know, I have a very high degree of satisfaction with what yep. I do. So it's it's for kind of different people to decide what what has Works value it. for them.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I like thinking about surgery. I like writing papers. I like doing research. I like um, making YouTube content and things like that. And that that's mm-hmm. a, perhaps a bit more removed uh, from medicine. But obviously, ninety nine percent of what I make is still about medicine. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's up to you. But but that won't be the same for everyone. Some people like to travel. Some people like to spend time with their families. Some people like to read. You, you know, yep. it, you absolutely... Yeah, yeah, of course you can have a work-life balance in medicine. Some specialties are going to be more amenable to that than others. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just the reality of things. Yeah. Again, there's no sense. Like, clearly don't become a neurosurgeon if you want a good work life.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: that's not a good idea or a cardiothoracic surgeon or whatever. But but all doctors have control over what they allow or don't allow to bleed into their non-working time, some more than others. And it's also really important that we recognize that different people have different pressures if you have caring responsibilities if you have a family if you are if you have a partner you know different people have different things that they need mm-hmm. to manage and medicine can be accommodating of all of those things but it isn't yeah. always mm-hmm. and therefore those of us that are coming up through the ranks if you like and and who are coming into the profession have a responsibility to make sure that we try and change things so, so that everybody can have as healthy a work-life balance, balance as possible. Practicable, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting because every it's one of these things that I think is subjective to the person. You know, you said that you don't really, on paper, objectively have a work-life balance, but you're still happy yeah being as busy as you are, and that's totally okay. I think it's just so different for everyone. It's never really a one size fits all model, but I think throughout medical school, it's hammered in about having a work life balance so people often you know think it's the be all and end all if you've not done a certain thing this day or you've not dedicated a certain amount of time. but I think the reality is it's just everyone's different. what works for you. Might not that's work for you, someone that's else. That's what you
1: want, you know. Yeah, exactly. The thing. It's about having agency, mm-hmm. and if you want to, if you're a medical student and you want to study twelve hours a day and, and be a top decile student and publish lots of papers and things, great. If that yeah. if that's what makes you happy and that's what you find value and meaning in, yeah. Because although although other people might not agree with it or might not. Um, feel that it makes sense to them if that's what gives you satisfaction and brings you closer to the goals that you have then that's fine fantastic yeah yeah
0: absolutely absolutely thank you so much for sharing I think people find it interesting you know because I would never have thought that you don't have a work-life balance but I also acknowledge that you do so much so it's interesting to hear your raw honest view on it because I think it'll help people realize that all these people that are doing so much might not necessarily have work-life balance, and it's no. okay.
1: you're right. Like I do, I do a lot. Yeah. And it consumes all my time. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know that, that, like, what would you expect? But you're but... still
0: smiling, so I guess yeah. it's I love fine. It. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it keeps you going. Great, thank you so much. I think before we delve into the current strikes i just wanted to ask you a final question about medical school um or maybe some advice for some future prospective students so what advice as an f2 would you give to someone considering a career as a doctor in the current nhs climate oh that's a A big one i know (laughs) yeah
1: think very hard um you know i'm i'm not i'm not one of those people that is going to straight up say, don't do medicine. Um, Like, we do have to be pretty objective about the fact that a career in medicine is less attractive or objectively worth less than it was 20 or 30 years ago. Things are changing, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's okay. However, I, I know full well that if someone had said the same thing to 15 or 16 year old me or whatever, that I would not have listened to that at yeah. all. If if someone by the time someone has decided that they are going to apply for medical school, they're they're a lost cause as far yeah, as far they're as far already as, too I, far I,
0: gone. I yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you're I don't think that even with good intentions that you can reason someone out of that. No. I just I don't think it works that way. Um which which is nice to a degree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I kinda like blind optimism um and good intention. Uh what was the question about a career in medicine? Um yeah. it is trying to trying to understand, although again, I'm not sure it's possible
0: mm-hmm. at the
1: point where you're applying to medical school. Imagine that you decide that you decide that you want to do something or you want to achieve something. So, so y- you say, I'm going to be a doctor and that's great. It's the, the best job in the world. Like yeah. it, it's amazing. Um, And you, you then have to decide what kind of doctor you want to be. Um, so you might decide that you want to be a dermatologist, say a skin doctor or a transplant surgeon or a a neurologist, a brain doctor, what you now have to imagine is that you're going to take all of this bundled up optimism and passion and intelligence and everything that you have that makes you good at what you do, Mm -hmm. and you're going to take that into a very hostile environment that will do everything it can all the time Mm -hmm. to resist you being able to achieve those things and all of this is very complicated mm. but it's down to the fact that the NHS as an institution is not there to help you achieve what you want or yep. or be in any way helpful or con- conducive to you getting what you want it is there to meet the healthcare needs of of people in the UK or in England yep. for us say so, um for me that is why it exists. It does not exist for your benefit or to help you in any way. You work within it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And the second thing is that since the NHS in England and the Devolved Nations is inextricably linked to the government, the organisation that runs it, they will also have their own priorities that yeah. don't necessarily match up always or maybe ever with meeting yeah. <laughs> the healthcare needs of the population. Yeah. Um and all I'm trying to get at is that there are there are lots of pressures pulling things in different ways all the time. So one of the things that matters to most people is training. It's really important for doctors. And it's just understanding that you will have to fight once you decide what you want to do, you will have to fight very 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 hard in order to achieve what you want Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and as long as you're okay with that then medicine is a good career for you because things things will not make sense you know we are short of virtually every type of consultant for example that exists Mm -hmm. um whether that's neurologists dermatologists neurosurgeons um i don't know sexual health specialists we're short of virtually everything
0: yeah,
1: at every level. And despite that, it's becoming increasingly difficult to get into specialty training because there is no political will to expand national training capacity. So we have yeah. more and more and more doctors coming through at the bottom end to become yeah. junior doctors, if you like. But there is no expansion in training capacity. So that means that competition is going up and up and up and up exponentially to get into training, despite the fact
0: there's just... that we are
1: not on track to have the correct number of trained doctors in, like, anything. Yeah. Um, and it's – the problem is, is that all of this stuff is so far divorced from what being a medical student is about, But mm-hmm. but this is – given that we will spend most of our working lives, obviously, as postgraduate doctors, medical yeah. school was a flash in the pan, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, It's trying to understand that all of the difficult stuff really comes later. Yeah. But can you understand that as a
0: as 15 a or 16-year-old? I, I, I don't know. I know. Who knows? Who knows? That's up to the person, I guess. But you've given your answer. Yeah. Very thorough one. So thank you very much. I think now, if you're okay with it, we'll discuss the current strikes. Yes. I think you're very good at voicing exactly what's going on. Um, perhaps in Scotland we might not be as aware as to what's going on Mm. because it is down south and we can sort of turn a blind eye to is that
1: the phrase?
0: Absolutely. (laughs) We say (laughs) do you not say up north for us Scottish people?
1: Yeah, but if you say up north in England, it means, like,
0: oh, I guess Leeds, so. Newcastle. Yeah. Whereas it I'm always, like, down south. Everything, everything in England is down south. But, yeah, I think it'd be really useful for the audience, medical field or not, to just explain, you know, why doctors are currently striking and fighting yeah. for pay restoration rather yeah. than a pay rise, so to yes. speak
1: sure again i i realize i'm not doing very well whenever i say this but i'm gonna keep trying which is (laughs) i will try and keep it short and sweet which is junior doctors in england are striking and the terms of their strike are are a pay dispute right so although lots of things are very important training working conditions pensions whatever the thing that junior doctors are striking over is pay yep and The main thrust, or the only thrust indeed, of what we're asking for is since 2008, junior doctors of all grades, so I talked about that very wide range of of people that could be junior doctors, have collectively seen their pay cut relative to inflation by 26.1% since 2008. And what we are asking for is those inflationary pay losses to be reset to zero, essentially. So this is why this wording about pay rises versus restorations and all of this is important because what it's saying is, is that in 2023, I'm a foundation year two doctor. And in 2008, the foundation year two doctor of the time that I would be doing the exact same job as would be earning 26.1% more more than me, if you like. Uh, And my, although I'm doing the same job 15 years later, I'm getting paid a quarter less than they are. And we don't think that's fair. So we're simply asking for that to be reset to zero. And the way you do that is, or the mechanism for doing that is a 35.3%, I think. Uh, pay rise is the mechanism by which you do that but it's wrong to frame it that way because again all all we're asking for is it to be undone really
0: yeah rather than asking for extra pay you're just wanting it to go back to what it was exactly i'm I'm not saying
1: i'm not saying that i deserve more money Mm -hmm. than my colleague 15 years ago for doing the same job I'm saying I want to be paid the same as what my colleague 15 He's years paying. ago was doing for the same job.
0: Absolutely. And do you think, what are the implications, sorry, of getting this 26.1% pay restoration? What, what are the benefits to NHS and patient care? Because I think people often think it's, you know, only the junior doctors that are going to benefit from this, but what yeah. are the further reaching consequences of achieving it, hopefully?
1: Yeah, so... So we can think about this locally and, Mm -hmm. um, kind of more widely. So locally, it means that your, your first year junior doctor, your foundation year one doctor is going from about 14 pounds an hour to about 19 pounds an hour. Um, and obviously in a situation where you have a cost of living crisis and inflation is out of control, obviously, um, the individual worker your doctor benefits from that and helps them absorb the cost of those of those pressures which obviously all workers want mm-hmm. um, and it's perfectly reasonable to want but perhaps more importantly for people who aren't doctors um the key thing is retention okay healthcare so not just doctors but all healthcare workers is a global um it's it's a global mobile workforce it's a global market and there is a shortage i'm not sure that people necessarily recognize this but there is an enormous shortage of trained healthcare workers everywhere Mm -hmm. uh, essentially and so there's demand for them even if we think about this in terms of market forces there is massive demand yeah and a limited supply and that supply just thinking about the uk is time dependent so it takes five years to get a brand new doctor it takes 15 years being conservative to get a new consultant a new (laughs) senior doctor um and for your junior doctors the ones that are affected by this pay crisis They will finish medical school. They'll finish the foundation program like me the first two years. And Mm -hmm. they will say, well, I'm now free. I've got my license to practice. I can go wherever I like. I'm a certified, qualified doctor. And those skills are in very high demand everywhere. Yeah. Uh, So am I going to stay in the UK and do my training, accepting that I will be paid less? than doctors in other similar economies and health systems or could i go to america could i go to australia could i go to new zealand could i go to canada could i go to france germany whatever um and and, because this is the time where you're going to make that choice
0: absolutely yeah
1: and it is completely reasonable for someone who has no dependence, say, or has no other reason why they, they don't have to stay in the UK, mm-hmm. to take those skills and go and be pa- go and be paid more in another yeah. system where they might have a nicer time. And Australia is the golden example of that at the moment. And what I, th- I think everyone needs to understand is that, that, that this is the reality and the only way, increasingly, that you are going to keep those doctors, your UK-trained graduates, is by offering them a competitive salary. Yep. Um, so really, what we're seeing increasingly now is you have doctors coming from, from outside the UK, what we call IMGs or international medical graduates, coming to the UK because the conditions here for them are often significantly better than right. they would be in their home country um especially if they have a family or or whatever to support when they can send some money home
0: yeah
1: and just as just as those doctors are coming here uk trained doctors are leaving yeah. so, so that they will go to systems where the conditions and pay are better than in the uk yeah. so you've got you've kind of got brain drain going mm-hmm. on in mm-hmm. multiple directions at the same time and um so so that's the state of play. We are yeah. we are losing more doctors than we are training
0: mm-hmm.
1: from from the UK trained workforce. So uh,
0: that is so, the reality.
1: Yeah. So yeah. so that's really why things, assuming assuming that that politicians and the general public want to keep hold of those doctors, mm-hmm. things are going to have to change. And yep. People often talk about this idea of bonded labor, this idea that, well, you know, someone has been trained in medical school and trained in the NHS, we should force them to stay for five years, 10 years, whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, whatever increasingly ridiculous number people like to suggest. Yeah. The first thing obviously to understand is that we pay our tuition fees the same as everyone else does maybe not in Scotland I don't know what the bit situation but
0: different, different yeah not nowhere yeah. near as much as what UP but, I was going to say down south but I won't say that yeah <laughs> um,
1: you know I, I would only even begin to entertain that kind of idea if we then you ha- you would have to bond every graduate of every discipline into the public sector somehow and I'm not I don't mm-hmm. even know how that would work but even if you do want to bond a doctor for some period of time say five years they're not even close to being any kind of specialist or like trained maybe a gp yeah. you could get a gp in five years five postgraduate years. Yeah. but that's also the point where their bonded labor would end so you wouldn't mm-hmm. get the, the benefit from them anyway exactly um you know if you said five years even if he said 10 years again you've got the same problem You've you've then got a brand new consultant Mm -hmm. whose bonded labor has ended. So they can again just take those skills wherever they want. So it's those strategies are not going to work. Like they're they're just not practicable or enforceable in any way because we are, we're working the whole time. We're salaried employees. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, basically the the pay is going to have to get better or or this won't get fixed is the short answer.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for explaining that. Even from my perspective, I feel like I definitely learned something there. And I think on that note, we will finish off. So thank you so much, Oli, for giving up an hour of your time, your very busy lifestyle that you've got to share your insights. And I'm sure that everyone will have had something to learn from today. So thank you so much
1: very welcome again we we have a duty right like absolutely people have helped us and when you're a doctor i'm sure it'll be the same you have a responsibility to inform and train the next wave if you like
0: exactly exactly So thank you so much once again. And I hope that for all the listeners listening, wherever that may be, that you enjoyed this episode and that you have something to take away. And I hope that you will join me in my next episode, whenever that may be. So take care, everyone. And I hope to see you soon. Bye.